as we worship the Lord this morning in song and prayer and excitement for what he has done for us. Because we do want to know your name here today.
that is worthy of our praise. As you have a seat and we continue, is because of what he has done for us and because of his blood that we're here worshiping. You know, without the power of Jesus Christ, there is no power. Amen? Let's continue worshiping, please. so good and we love worshiping him amen and as we continue 
He will always be there for us every day, every hour, from the beginning to the end.
are so honored to be here before you today, Lord. We are so honored to just be praising your name and singing your songs. We ask, Lord, that you would please just, again, fill this place with your spirit so richly that we can't help but want to celebrate and praise and adore the King of Kings. God, we love you and we praise you. And we just want to ask that you would help us to keep our eyes focused on the one, the creator, the lover of our souls. We thank you so much, Lord, for this privilege of worshiping you, Lord, as a family. And we ask that you would continue to bless our morning. We do love you and praise your holy name. Amen. 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 Well, it's so good to see you today on this uh, threatening winter morning. We're glad you came out. You're all the four-wheel drive drivers, I think. Please reach in the book rack right there in front of you somewhere and pull out one of our little black friendship folders. If you'll take that and put your name on it and give it to a person sitting near you, we'll uh, appreciate that. Inside your Sunday Courier today, we have a list of the classes that are going to be available here just in two weeks. Uh, these we call elective classes. You can elect to go there. Uh, the first one is uh, Heaven, Eternity 101. Uh, Randy Alcorn, of course, has made a thorough study of what the Bible teaches about eternity and heaven. You know, what's it going to be like? And that's what this class is going to be about. So... You know, a lot of people are interested in that. And so take advantage of that. The next one is Fearless. And uh, Mike Bain's going to be teaching that. And Mike is a counselor in real life. And that makes, even, that makes it even better. Uh, this is a good class. Because life is filled with fears, isn't it? And uh, the more we can learn about dealing with them and handling them, and uh, the better we are. And so that's available. And then financial peace. And I was just sitting there looking at my little piece of paper, and I thought, boy, there's no peace unless you have some financial peace. Uh, whenever you can get your finances in order, a lot of peace comes to the home uh, that you can't have otherwise. And so this class is invaluable. It really is. Uh, Joanne and I took a class like this many years ago. I, and uh, boy, it really helped me as a as a as a father and a husband uh, to at least begin to go in the right direction. And we're glad now that we made that decision. So, if you're interested in being a part of those classes, just tear off this little bottom portion, leave it leave it in the offering plate, and uh, we need to have your pre-registration. Okay. Good. I asked Brother uh, Jim Watts how we're doing. This will be the last Sunday I'm going to mention our missionary offering. It. It goes from the second week in November to the sec second week in January, and then it kind of dribbles in all the way to the end of January. And so far, uh, we have gone 20% over our goal, which is now over $84,000 has come in. Uh, and, uh, and, so, and so we're kind of thanking the Lord and blown away and and we thank you for the part that you've had in it. And I, I know our missionaries are going to be so pleased with uh, your sacrifice and what you did for them. Thank you. Let's stand together as our ushers come this morning. And we'll receive our morning offering together at this time. Dear Lord, we thank you for this day which you've given to us. We thank you for our jobs and means of income. Uh, to take care of our families. 
And now we come as a church to take care of your spiritual family up here on this hill. We pray that you'll bless every, every gift and every giver today. Uh, Lord, we uh, pray that you use these funds to spread your word, not only around our community, but uh, around the world as well. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. Turn in our Bibles this morning, please, to the book of Matthew, chapter 6. 
Matthew chapter 6. I'd like to speak to you this morning on the laws that govern prayer. I thank uh, those of our speakers that have uh, been speaking to the church in the last few weeks. Um, Josh Watts here last, last week and uh, Chuck Green. We thank, thank them for their work. Texas is nice and warm at this time. I just want to tell you that, folks. This time of the year, I'm not going to flaunt it much in your presence today, but it's, uh, it's nice. Uh, I had the privilege to speak at the Heritage Baptist Church in Georgetown, Texas, uh, one Sunday morning and on a Sunday evening, the first church in uh, Austin, first Baptist church in Austin, uh, Texas, and then we moved on to San Antonio, and I'm a part of a team of ministers that helps um, try to pave the way for some of these young church planters that are going out across the country starting churches. And so we enjoyed uh, San Antonio and the River Walk, if you've heard about that, uh, and uh, the, our fellowship there. The interesting thing about it is David Dalfit, who is the young pastor that I've been telling you about, right up here in Dunbar, Pennsylvania. He was there at the school, the church planning school, and he and I had a great time of getting to know each other. He's 24 years old, and he's the pastor of the church in Dunbar. He's not married. He's, he's, married, he's going to be married soon, but uh, he's a great, great kid, and uh, I know that you'll be exposed to him, I'm sure, in the days ahead uh, because we helped him uh, and his brother uh, with our Christmas offering. Matthew chapter 6, verse 6, But when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will we reward you openly. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think they'll be heard for their many words. Therefore do not be like them, for your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask. For those of you who like to make markings in your Bible, I, I love to do that. Uh, underline the word need because this is going to be our first point today. Our first law of prayer. The law of need. Here Jesus said, your father knows the things you have need of before you ask him. And then in verse 9 he says, in this manner therefore pray. Our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Look over to verse number 31. Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. And he's referring to unbelievers here. Unbelievers in their life are looking and seeking for those things that, that nourish their soul, their body, their life. He says, they're out there seeking the things that I know you have need of, and I'm your heavenly Father. For your heavenly Father knows that you had need all these things. Again, we find the word need. Uh, we are a needy people, aren't we? We need food. We need shelter. We need clothing. And uh, he says the Gentiles, the unbelievers, they're out there scratching in the dirt. They're doing everything they can to, uh, 
to meet this need. And he says, in effect, what he's saying is relax, relax. I know you need these things. You need food. You need clothing. You need shelter. And he says, now, I, my plan to meet your need is this in verse 33. Look at it. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. In other words, I'll meet your need. Don't be possessed with meeting your own needs out there like unbelievers are because I'm watching over you. And so you be possessed with me rather than the things you think you need because I know the things you need. I love verse number 33. Um, I've never had, had a life verse, but the, this is a good life verse. If you don't have one, adopt this one. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own thing. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Uh, I can't bring myself to throw away books on prayer because I, I love to read more and more all the time about people's experiences in prayer because I've come to the conclusion uh, after all these years being a pastor that I can't get enough of this because to me it's the most important thing in the world. Because we can do more and be more and accomplish more through God's power and through our interaction with him than any other thing in the world. And so therefore, why wouldn't we want to be people of prayer? I was down in my basement. You know, I have one of those real basements. It looks like a basement. It smells like a basement. There's critters down there sometimes, I think. And I'm down there working around and I have my, my most cherished possession down there. And that's my treadmill. It's been relegated to the basement. And so uh, I'm spending some time down there. And uh, I had a box of old books down there. And I was rooting through those books. And I found this one. Five Laws That Govern Prayer by S.D. Gordon. You can tell it's an old book. Pages are kind of discolored. And you can really tell it's old when you open it up because... For those of you who have old books, you know that they used to write the price up here in the top right-hand corner in pencil. And you'll never guess how much this book costs. Take a guess. Fifteen cents. <laughs> That's a long time ago. And so I went on the Internet, and I punched in S.D. Gordon and and uh, there he came to life. Everything comes to life. And I found out that he was a prolific writer on spiritual subjects. And so um, I got that book and I was leafing through it. And I thought, boy, I'll tell you what, that would be worth looking at. Because in every generation, and this is around 1920 or so, every generation people have different thoughts and different nuances and different ways to package the whole idea of biblical prayer. And I said, boy, I want to learn about that. And so I'm going to talk to you about that today and next week. And so today there are two, two laws that I'm going to talk to you about, the law of need and the law of abiding. But I want to give you 
all five of them this morning so that you can write them down in case we have a big snowstorm next week, okay? And so get your pen out. Let me give you all five of them quickly. The five laws that govern prayer. First of all, and this was a surprise to me, the law of need, N-E-E-D. The second one is the law of abiding, abiding. Remember John 15. The third one is praying in Jesus' name. Praying in Jesus' name. Now, we're familiar with that. Jesus said, and whatever you ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I'll do it. We're familiar with that one. Now, the fourth one was kind of a little surprise to me. And, I'm, and I haven't even read about it in his book yet. I, I just do it and then figure it out later. The fourth one is skill and practice. And so I'm anxious to see what he has to say about that. Skill and practice. That piqued my interest. And the fifth one is confidence and persistence. And we're kind of familiar with that. I have a good pastor friend. He was the pastor of the First Baptist Church in Medina, Ohio. For many years. Last year at the beginning of the year, he started to preach to his congregation on prayer. He preached 13 Sundays on prayer. He told me that. And I said, did people get tired of it? He said, oh no. He said, they didn't get tired of it. Now, I'm not going to do that, but I thought that was interesting. Because I think there is a yearning in our heart uh, that is so... uh, so incredible that all of us as believers want to know how to have a stronger connection with God. And so, the first one is the law of need. Jesus addresses this, and we read it in verse 8 and in verse 32. Your Father knows what you have need of. We are a needy people. We have need of the basic necessities of life, food, clothing, shelter. That means we need a job or we need somebody to take care of us. One of the two. It's our need that pulls us to our knees. How many of us in our congregation have been pulled to our knees recently by a need in our life or the lives of someone else? No matter who we are, where we are, where we've been or where we're going, there are needs in our life that we can't meet. God must meet those needs. Matthew 9, 12 says, When Jesus heard that, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Jesus says, listen, sick people need medical help. Sick people need somebody to minister to them physically. Now, we know that as a church, don't we? Because that's the conversation all the time, isn't it? Such and such members in the church. Such and such has this problem. Jesus recognized that. He says, I know you have physical needs. 
Mark 2.25 says, Have you never read that David did when he was in need and hungry? We have physical needs. Luke 15.7 says, I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. And the implication is there's many, many people who need repentance. In fact, uh, the alternative if a person doesn't repent is to perish, repent or perish. And so people need repentance. And Jesus said, I want you to go out and I want you to preach repentance to the nations. Turning away from the sin, turning to God for forgiveness. Hebrews 5.12 says this, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need someone teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And if you've come to need milk and not solid food. We have spiritual needs. We need to be fed from God, right? We need soul food. That's the term I like to put on it. You know, we spend so much of our life throughout the week ministering to our physical body. Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. When Jesus was out ministering, his disciples came to him and said, listen, Lord, don't you want something to eat? And he said, I have meat to eat, about, eat of that you know nothing about. Soul food. Uh, everybody has a different appetite for soul food. When a person first is saved, they, well, sometimes they develop a big appetite. And after you've been saved a long time, you should have a ravenous appetite for spiritual food. I just can't get enough. Well, the Lord's made that provision for you and me. Philippians 4.19 is a classic. Let's read it this morning together. God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. There it is. That's a blanket statement right there. My God shall supply all your need. He knows your need before you ask him. Hebrews 4, 15 and 16 says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. Therefore, let us come boldly to the throne of grace that we may find mercy and, and uh, help in time of what? Need. And so the Lord says, Listen, I know you have all these needs. Just come to me. I'll take care of your needs. The greatest need, of course, people have is a spiritual need, and only Jesus can meet that. We need a Savior to save us from our sins, don't we? That's the reason he came. And I always kind of like, uh, I always kind of like think of that in the three aspects. First of all, whenever we come to Christ, he saves us from the penalty of our sin. What is that? That's separation from God in time and eternity as well. Cut off because of our sin. We're saved from the penalty. That's a wonderful, wonderful thought. I've said before that you can face anything in life if you know you're going to heaven when you die. Uh, the next is salvation from the power of our sin. Sin is a powerful thing. Incredibly powerful. 
Sometimes we quake in the presence and under the pressure of temptation. But the Bible says in 1 John 4, 4, Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. There is no temptation taken you but such is common to man. And God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted above that which you are able, but will with the temptation also make a way of escape for you. We are saved from the power of sin, if we want to be. And then, ultimately, we are saved from the presence of sin when we go to heaven. That's the law of need. We are needy people. Jesus said this, Seek first the kingdom of God and my righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. God will work out the details. Spend your time not trying to be possessed with your own situation, but be possessed with God's situation, and he'll take care of your needs. Now, the next law is the law of abiding. And so if you'll turn with me, please, to John chapter 15. John chapter 15, verse number 7 and 8. And in my Bible, on both pages that I'm looking at, they're all red letters. These are the words of Jesus. He has his disciples together, and he says this. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. Now, we love that verse, and, we, and we're always tempted to read it casually. Boy, God's going to listen to me, and he's going to give me everything I want to get. But we have the last part of the verse is predicated by the first part of the verse, and it begins with that big word. What's the first word? If. If. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, then you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. But this my fa- by this my Father is glorified. That you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciple. Uh, this is interesting. The word abide, uh, we can explain it this way. It means to remain, to have fellowship, to spend time with, to draw near to, to seek. I like to, uh, I like to use the, the phrase practicing the presence of Christ. Uh, in other words, to be preoccupied with Jesus. How many times has your wife said to you, uh, gentlemen, honey, where are you? That means you're zoned out. You've heard that term, you're zoned, you're somewhere else, you're not there. Oh, if I had a dollar for every one of those. And vice versa. You know, where are you? You know, you're just kind of like preoccupied somewhere else in your thoughts. Well, practicing the presence of of Christ is important for Christians. It really is. Drawing near to him, seeking him, having him on your mind. And what he says here is this. If you listen to me, that means you're a person of the word. If you spend time with me and you listen to me, then you can pray to me and I'll answer your prayers. Uh, I was... In San Antonio, and 
some of the, my pastor friends get together and are part of this group that I referred to. Uh, one of them has a church in Half Moon, New York. Half Moon. You know where that is? It's by Albany, I think. And he was saying to us other pastors, he said, you know, these days I've been reading the Bible through four times a year. And, and you can do that if you're a pastor. You know, you've got lots of time to read the Bible. He said, I'm reading the Bible these days four times a year, and I'm seeing things I've never seen before. And I thought, boy, I'm going to write that down because, you know, when you're, always when you read the Bible, you see things you've never seen before. Amen? It's like, wow, where's that? I never saw that before. Well, Jesus said, listen, if you let my words remain in you and you spend time with me, then you can pray to me and I'll give you what you pray about. And then he says specifically here in verse number eight, look there. But this my father is glorified that you bear much fruit. Then you'll be a fruit bearer. Then your life will be, write this down, spiritually productive. Spiritually productive. And we all want that, don't we? We just don't want to be like a, just a nothing Christian. We want to be spiritually productive. And then look what else he says. And this jumped off the page at me too. So you will be my disciples. You know, we, we sometimes casually talk around the church. You know, I'm a follower of the Lord. I'm a disciple. Uh, but a disciple, the meaning of the word disciple is a learner, a student. And so how could we not otherwise be a student if we are spending time with the Lord in his presence? And if we are assimilating the word of God, we are, we are learning his ways and his, uh, in our life. And then he says, that, he says, now then you are my disciple. You know, this is not an absolute truism, but everybody is someone's disciple. Do you know that? Everybody's learning from someone. A person, a principle, a goal. Everybody has somebody out there that they are gravitating toward. And Jesus said, listen, I'm out here. You gravitate toward me. You'll be my disciple and you'll bear much fruit. Wow. Now, that's simply based on the law of abiding. Abide in me. Stick with me. Hang out with me. Spend time with me. Be preoccupied with me. Somebody says, oh, where are you? I'm thinking about the Lord. Well, there are all sorts of hindrances. Satan tries to, to break uh, our abiding in Christ. How does he do it? Psalm 66, 18 says this. There it is. Let's read it together. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. There is this little word, uh, and, but I want to add another word to it. It's called the believer's sin. Many people don't understand this concept. They really don't when they think they... You know, whenever we come to church and we read the Bible and we try to be so good, we think, well, you know, that's not really a sin. It's just I made a mistake. And Well, 1 John chapter 1, verse 8 says this. Look at it. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. That's a blanket statement for a Christian. We're all sinners. 
whenever we come to Christ positionally, we're saved. Uh, that's called justification. Uh, but practically, uh, we are on the journey of sanctification, and that means learning to grow and to deal with the sins of our life. And the Holy Spirit helps us do that, in, and that word is called conviction. Okay? Con- conviction is God's attempt to raise the bar in our spiritual life and make us more Christ-like. And so these little arrows, these little barbs that's coming to you from God throughout the day is a, is a instigation to get you to grow as a Christian. Conviction. You might say, oh, man, I don't like that too much. But it's really good for you because he knows the direction you're supposed to go in. And so John chapter 14, verse 17 says, The Spirit of truth dwells in you. The Holy Spirit is always leading you in the right direction. And so here's your sinful nature. Your sinful nature is trying to take you over here, and the Holy Spirit is trying to take you over here, and he's always leading you and pulling you in the right direction. John 16, 13 says he'll guide you into all truth. Conviction, again, is the Holy Spirit bringing to our attention the things that need to change in our life. And as long as you live as a Christian, there are things that need to change in your life. You know that? You never become like the finished product. I'm sorry to tell you that. You never become that until you stand in the presence of God. Well, our response to the Holy Spirit's conviction is confession. That's our response. When the Holy Spirit convicts us, we get all this guilt. And, you know, I know Christians have lots of guilt. And there is a difference between true guilt and false guilt. And we're not going to go there this morning. But true guilt is good. If you're guilty, you're guilty. And it's there for a purpose to get you to turn in the right direction and turn your back on the thing for which you're guilty. And so the Holy Spirit produces that in your life. And not only does the Holy Spirit produce that in your life, but your conscience produces that too. And so you have like a double convictor. And so, and so what happens a lot of times, and this is when Christians get down, they're, they're convicted. I'm not a very good Christian. I didn't do this right. Boy, I'm not growing right. I'm, this is, I failed here. And, and, and so we are so convicted and we have so much guilt and, uh, and we kind of just like shrink down under the pressure of it all. But there is the next verse. Let's go back to that verse, please. The next verse, look, look what it says. Let's read it together. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, the response to the Holy Spirit's conviction is your confession. And the word confession means to agree with God. So the Holy Spirit says to you, hey, listen now, you know that's wrong. Now, our proper response is, yes, Lord, you're right. I know that's wrong. I turn from it. I repent from it. I agree with you. You're right. I'm wrong. And, and if we do that, look what happens. The Lord is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The word cleanse there means to take the guilt off of you. 
I don't know about you, but almost everything guilts me out because we want to live such a good life for the Lord, right? Can I have an amen? I mean, we want to go in the right direction. We want to make the right decisions. And, but, but the spirit is willing, but sometimes the flesh is what? Weak, right? Okay. And so, and so we beat ourselves up. We beat ourselves up, literally. And, uh, and so this is the prescription so that we can keep going, okay? Agree with the conviction of the Holy Spirit. God will take the guilt. Okay, this guilt is the issue. He will remove the guilt. This is a miracle. As far as I'm concerned, it's a miracle. He takes the guilt off of you so that you can run again. I can, can't explain it in any other terms. He kind of like wipes the slate clean again <laughs> and again and again. And Jesus said, you are clean through the word and you are clean through confession of your sins to the Lord. And so, if we're not doing this in our life, we are becoming more and more burdened with guilt. And, uh, and we are not getting our sins, our daily sins, forgiven by the Lord. And sin turns the law of abiding into the law of breaking. You know, for as long as I can remember, there is this well-worn statement that some people have written in their Bible. It goes like this. Sin will keep you from this book, and this book will keep you from sin. How many people have ever heard a statement similar to that? Okay, quite a few of you. Some of you are writing it down. You're going to put it in your Bible now. Now, this whole idea of unconfessed sin, what it does, it hinders the law of abiding. And Jesus said that the answers to your prayers are predicated by the law of abiding. Wow, what a revelation! Now, there's another thing that threatens prayer, too. And we're not going to be exhaustive, of course. But it's the wrong motive in prayer. Why do we pray the things that we pray? Um, I wish I could learn the lesson of, of learning how to know where I park at the mall. It's the hardest lesson in life, almost. You know, you're on your way to the mall and you go up there and you park and, and you just run in there and you're doing your thing and then all of a sudden when you leave you think, oh, where's my car? How many people have been there recently? Okay, I'm in good company. Where's my car? Why didn't I have enough? I, I've done this so many times. And you know, you step out there and what, what do you do as a Christian? Lord, could I have a hint? Just kind of aim me in the right direction. Everybody's, par everybody's praying in the parking lot. And how about the airport, the carousel? That's a prayerful place, you know that? Lord, where's my bag? It's got my presentation in it. I'm finished. I'm finished. Well, we have motives for prayer, don't we? James chapter 4, verse 2 and 3 is an interesting passage. Let me, um, 
Let's, let's try it. Let's try to read it together. It's big, but we'll do it, okay? You want what you do not have, so you scheme and kill to get it. You are jealous of what others have, and you can't possess it. So you fight and quarrel to take it away from them. And yet the reason you don't have what you want is that you don't ask God for it. And even when you do ask, you don't get it because your whole motive is wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. Wow. That's penetrating right there. When we are finally, finally, finally driven to prayer, then we, after our schemes run out, we pray to the Lord for things that will eventually give us pleasure. Now, I believe that God wants us to have some pleasure in life, and I think if we go by the rules that he's laid down in the Bible, that our life will be a whole lot more pleasurable than it, than it could ever be. Uh, God's not against pleasure, but I think he is against a life that is wholly given. See the word? Whole motive is wrong. Wholly given over to pleasure. Um, 2 Timothy 3, 4 says that in the last days, men will be lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. What is the passion in our life? Is the passion in our life to provide pleasure for ourselves, Or is the passion in our life to uh, please the Lord? And so I think what this means is we have to be careful what we pray for. If our greatest desire is to please God, we'll be able to accept his no's uh, when he says no to our prayers. Psalm 37, 4 says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he'll give you the desires of your heart. Praying with the wrong motive hinders the law of abiding. Why, do, why are we praying? Another thing that hinders the law of abiding is an unforgiving spirit. Turn with me, please, to Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18. Verse number 21. Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. I can see Peter when he's talking to the Lord here and he's saying, Lord, how many times should I be forgiving? Uh, seven times? How about that? That would be a record, wouldn't it? And the Lord says, listen, you have to do better than that. How about 70 times 7? And I think what the Lord is trying to get over to Peter here is it's not about arithmetic. It's not about uh, checking it off. Okay, that's number 25. You're getting close. Uh, what Jesus wants us to do is to breathe in the spirit of forgiveness. Now, and this is so important. Boy, I wish I had time to elaborate more on this this morning, but I don't. The spirit of forgiveness. Do you know that you can't get your prayers answered unless you're a forgiving person? Look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. Be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ forgave you. 
Um, Jesus said, forgive us our debts, even as we forgive those who sin against us. And so I'm going to give you a list real quickly. And if you want to write them down, they'll help you on the issue of forgiveness, okay? How you can be a more forgiving person. All of us need this. Number one, write it down. Reflect on your own forgiveness, what God has done for you, number one. You might say, oh, this person's doing this, this person's doing that. They're, they're bashing me over here. They're doing this to me. Reflect on God's forgiveness for you. Then, number two, free the offender from your anger. Let them go on with their life. Don't be always looking for people to be mad at. You'll find too many. Somebody write that down. I want that one back. That was inspiration. <laughs> yeah, don't be always looking for someone to make you mad. There are too many people like that. Free the offender from your anger. And listen, anger is unforgiveness, and unforgiveness is anger. Let them go on with their life. Somebody does something to you, let them go on with their life. Okay, now, number three, let God balance the books. Let God balance the books. He's really good at it. He's the best. Galatians 6, 7 says this, that he will balance the books. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that will he also reap. That means, essentially... We get what we're deserving of. God's a keeper of the books. The next one is free yourself from the burden of your anger. Firstly, give, let them go free. Then free yourself from your anger. You know, it takes an awful lot of energy to be mad all the time. It doesn't feel good to feel bad about what someone else is making you feel bad about. Free yourself from your own burden. Next thing is don't revel in the fact that they'll get theirs. I they're going to get theirs. I know God will get them. I'm just going to wait to see what God will do. Don't do that, please. That's the wrong attitude. The next thing is to repay no one evil for evil. Well, they're gonna, they, get, they did this to me. I guess I'll do that to them. Don't do that. The next thing is don't avenge yourselves. Don't avenge yourselves. And here's the reason, and you may have never heard this before. Don't avenge yourselves. Don't take vengeance in your own hands. Because you will be too hard on the people you're trying to hurt. You will overreact. You will be too hard on them. It is only God that knows what the vengeance should be. And that's why he says in the Bible, vengeance is mine, says the Lord, I will repay. And so we can live in the light of that. There's a good illustration in the Old Testament, 2 Samuel chapter 24. David, King David is, says he wants to have a census. And... Uh, his commander of the army said, tried to talk him out of it. And he says, no, you can't do that. It's a time of peace. Don't do that. David was, wanted to have a census because he wanted to find out how many military people he had in the land. And it was an issue of pride with him. 
And so it took them about nine months to get the sentence, uh, the, the census. And they came back and they said, okay, there, we did it. You told us to do it. There's 800,000 men in Israel and there's 500,000 men in Judah. And then God sends a prophet and says, David, you have crossed the line. You have exhibited pride and you must pay. And this is interesting and you'll find that it's, it's a strange thing to me in the Bible. Uh, the Lord says, listen now, David, I'm going to pose to you three punishments. You choose one. It's called multiple choice. Seven years of famine, three months fleeing from your enemies, three days of severe plague. And uh, David says, I'll take the last one, Lord. And then he gives the reason. Let us fall into the hands of the Lord. His mercy is great. Do not let us fall into human hands. Why shouldn't we be the person who ex extracts the vengeance? We're too hard. We'd hurt people too much. There'd be too much pain to go around. God knows exactly how to handle these things. In fact, in the book of Psalm 103, verse 10, he says, they said, he has not dealt with us according to our sins nor punished us according to our, uh, our iniquities. Lamentations 3.22 says, through the Lord's mercies we are not consumed because his compassion fail not. And so, don't try to be the person that exacts the vengeance. Or, or what's due you, you think. Two other things. Stop looking back and close the case. Now, I know that some cases are perpetually ongoing. And this doesn't mean that, that you should be a doormat for someone's abuse or living in a dangerous situation. There are qualifications to these. But what we should do is take these ideas, and these are all biblical things, and we should try to apply them to our situation. First of all, there is the law of need. How will you meet your need? Jesus said this, always remember it, never forget it. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and I'll take care of the details. Matthew 6.33 how are you going to meet your needs? God says, that's my business. I'm your father. I'll take care of you. Then there's the law of abiding. That connection needs to be kept open. Be thankful to the Lord for his conviction. You might say, oh, I'm so guilty. There's nothing wrong with that if you do the right thing with your guilt. Lay your guilt at the foot of the cross. Quit carrying it. Admit that you're going in the wrong direction and ask God for his cleansing and guilt-lifting forgiveness and power to live the Christian life and do it every day. Agree with God and then forgive those who have hurt you. Turn it over to God. It's his business. He'll take care of them. He'll take care of you if you do it. Let's bow our heads in prayer. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, there is this law of uh, abiding.
abiding in Christ, and it is so many times fractured by the sin in our life. We just have to come to grips and tell God, listen, you're right, I'm wrong. I, I, uh, I need your touch. I need your help. Um, and the, being an unforgiving person breaks this chain too. And praying with the wrong motive. Is the motive for pleasure or is the motive for God's glory? These are all things that just attacked our abiding in Christ. And we need to deal with them as Christians. And so, dear Lord, we come into your presence now and we ask you to take these points from the Bible and to uh, apply them to our life, Lord. Lord, uh, those things you've been talking to us about are now confirmed in the church by your word. And we pray that your people will respond to your conviction by their confession and find the victory that you have for them in Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together this morning as we sing our invitation song. And as we sing this song together, turn our eyes upon Jesus. If you need to come and speak to the Lord about something going on in your life or the life of a friend, you feel free to do that this morning as we sing together. to be kicking off choir practice for our Sunday mornings and Easter services coming up. We're going to be doing something a little bit different this year, and we want to invite all of you to join us if you enjoy singing, if you enjoy the music that we sing on Sunday mornings, and just um, worshiping the Lord through song. And we definitely have room for you, so please plan on coming next Sunday night at 4.30, and we'll give an introduction of what we're going to be doing for this season. Thank you. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Rhonda. Boy, the choir is a great place to make friends, isn't it? And the music, uh, all the musicians that we have, wonderful people. And they get together and have a riot, and so we want to invite you to do that as well.